enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ today. We're glad that you have chosen to join us for this week's sermon of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. God's Word is full of timeless truths that are relevant to our lives today. We invite you to explore these truths with us each week. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 15, read this way. Since then we know that what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him Excuse me, no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I'm going to refer to several scriptures uh, today, and the key scripture that I'll refer to will be on the screen for you. They're all in context, but I encourage you to, uh, if you want to write the scripture down and read the context, I encourage you to do that. So I'm going to ask you, if you're able to, in your memory, to go back to 1965. Some of you can't do that, so you're going to have to use your imaginations. Okay? So it's 1965, and my home, the Richardson home, is a hive of activity and excitement. Two of the boys are on the basketball team, and they're preparing to leave for the state championship game which was a huge event in the big city of Easton, where I grew up. 1,500 people strong when everybody was home, and a few of them had guests, okay? That was Easton. It's actually smaller today even than then. Uh, But that wasn't the biggest news. The biggest news is that Mom was pregnant. She was very pregnant. And Barry, 22... Keith, 17, me, 15, Scott, 10, and Brent, 5, all waited with Dad for the birth of number 6. There was high anticipation. Got any guess why? Were you listening real good? Five boys. (laughs) So, we were waiting for a little girl. Now, some in the town, and, and you know, it's Maine. If, if you lived in Maine, you know this is kind of a basketball crazy place. And back then, it was men's basketball crazy. Now it's women are included, which is great. But back then, 65 was really pretty much about, about the guys of basketball. And so some in the town were rooting for another male basketball player. But most were saying, please, Lord, A girl, a baby girl. Well, mom couldn't risk the trip uh, to the championship game, which happened to be Augusta, and so that's still over 200 miles from where I lived, one way. And so 
She stayed home with Brent, the five-year-old, while the rest of us left for the big game. Now, with one second to go, the good guys, meaning our team, had the ball underneath our own basket. We were behind by one point. Our coach yelled out, play number one. My brother took the ball out, and if you've watched basketball, often they'll slap the ball when they want you to cut. Slaps the ball, everybody cuts, he hits Tyler, Tyler shoots a fadeaway jump shot. Swish. Swish, we won the game. We won the game. The game was over. Now, many claimed that when the radio broadcaster yelled, it's good, it's good, we win, we win, that the adrenaline rush sent my mother into labor, and she had a baby girl, Sue Carroll. State championships and a little girl. Now, I have to admit, I just fibbed a little bit. It was actually two days later (laughs) that the birth came. Uh, But anyway, could it get any better than that? Well, it wasn't all good news. Because Sue Carroll was born Down syndrome. And she had a heart condition, which, by the way, is very, very common for those uh, who are born Down syndrome. Now, we've got a picture of Sue. There she is at her uh, fifth birthday. So, anyway, if you don't already know, you probably do, Down syndrome is a genetic condition uh, where a person has 47 chromosomes instead of 46 chromosomes. And uh, it's the most common uh, birth defect that there is. Uh, There was no cure then, there's, there's no cure now. And... But anyway, in in everyday terms, what Sue needed was for someone to heal her DNA. But it wasn't possible at the time. So why do I tell the story? Well, I tell it because I want to strongly suggest to you this morning that the Church of Jesus Christ in North America really needs our DNA healed. We need a healing of our DNA. I'm going to tell you another story. This story occurred several years ago also, but not, not that many years ago. I think it was about 10 years ago that this story occurred. It, it made the national news, and it's about Rod Clifton and Paula Lane. And I've, got, I've got their pictures, too. There they are. Uh, they're both in their young 40s, and they were out driving his brand-new uh, Jeep, Uh, You know, just trying it out. And they decided, you know what? Let's give this thing a little try. Four-wheel drive and all this kind of stuff. Let's take it on a dirt road, see how it works. And they had a cabin that they would sometimes go to that was out in the middle of nowhere. So they decided, hey, let's drive out to the cabin. So off they go down this dirt road toward the cabin. Well, after they've gone several miles, they find out all of a sudden the weather's turning bad. And it starts snowing like mad. So obviously it's cold. It's snowing. The wind's blowing. It's, it's very bad conditions. And the Jeep slips off the road. They're stuck. They can't get out. Now if that's not bad enough, 
I told you this cabin was in the middle of nowhere. No cell reception. So there they are, stuck, middle of nowhere, no cell reception, and they weren't planning on this. They're not dressed for this. And they didn't tell anybody where they were going. Okay? So they did a whole bunch of stuff wrong. But there they are. So, Rod says, you know what? Nobody knows we're here. We can't phone anybody. He says, I'm going to walk out and get help. Paula says, don't do that. What did he do? He walked out. He's a man, right? <laughs> he walked out. Well, three days are going to pass. Paula's in the Jeep. No help is coming. And so she does the same thing. She probably shouldn't have done it either, but she gets out of the Jeep and she starts walking out. Meanwhile, Paula has a brother. And Paula's brother's name is Gary. And he and the family members, nobody's hearing from either one of these two, and they're getting very, very concerned, and he says, I think maybe they went to the cabin. And his family says, there's no way we know they went to the cabin. He says, I think maybe they went to the cabin. He says, I'm going to get a front loader, and I'm going to go down that road and see if they're down there. And the family all said, you're crazy, don't do it. And he said... I may be crazy, but I'm going to do it. So he gets the front loader and he starts working his way down the road. Meanwhile, Paula is working her way out of the road. And she comes across Rod's body. He has not made it. He is frozen. He is dead. And so, of course, she begins to cry. She's crying for him, but she's also crying because she believes... I'm next. So she keeps, after a bit, she keeps going. She's getting exhausted. She's having a hard time getting through all the snow. She's falling down some. But then she hears a noise. And she looks up and she sees a scoop. And then she sees Gary. And he gets out of that front loader and he picks her up and he puts her in, and he takes her back to the hospital, and she, she recovered beautifully. She was just fine. So why do I tell you that story? Well, I tell you that story because I believe that Rod and Paula represent our world without God. And Gary represents God. Here's what I believe the truth to be. The average person in New England, especially in Maine specifically, are much like Rod and Paula. Much like Rod and Paula before they slide off the road and are kind of hopeless. Life's pretty good. And they don't recognize that they're in trouble, spiritual trouble. Rod and Paula came to recognize their desperate situation only after they were off the road and they realized, we don't see any way out of that. And they needed what? They needed a determined 
brother. In this case, his name was Gary. And I believe that's what people around us need. The very same thing. So this morning, I'd like to talk and think about the spiritual DNA that's needed to reach the rods and the Paulas of our world. You might be a Rod or a Paula, I don't know. My expectation is you're here and you've probably come into relationship with Jesus, but none of us should ever assume anything. I'm, I'm a guest today, I, I don't know you that well. I do know this, people around us continue to come up against desperate situations. I don't want to depress you, but here's a list. Addiction, anxiety, broken relationships, health issues, depression, food and housing insecurity, rebellious children, care for aging parents, unemployment, loneliness. Jen and I were just talking about what's going on in our world right now with the interest rates going crazy and the cost of housing going nuts. Increased homelessness? I mean, the list is much longer than what I have just listed. But again, I don't want to totally depress you. But there's just a lot of needs out there. Maybe we have some of those right here. People often try to solve these problems on their own. And sometimes they they, they seem to succeed to a certain degree, but more often they fail. They need somebody to come alongside of them, to be with them. And of course, we believe this, I think. We believe they need Jesus. They need a core. That's where we come in. But what, what can we do? What do we need to do? Well, I'm going to make some suggestions from Scripture with you this morning, and and you can reflect on those suggestions, and you can decide, yeah, is that right? Or is that exactly right? Or how is that right? Or what do I do with that? Well, here we go. It's five points, so we should be out of here in at least 90 minutes, okay? All right. You're supposed to laugh when I say that. (laughs) He got it. All right. Okay. Five points, but they'll go quickly. All right, the first point is this. Open our eyes. We need to open our eyes. We read this earlier. Uh, Tim read it, I believe. No. Anyway, we read it. Uh, Do you not say, four more months than in the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now, I'm a man, and I confessed this a little earlier today, but I'm a man, so that means I can be walking around someplace or walking down the street or walking around the house and absolutely see nothing. Are you like that as a man? Don't raise your hand, but I'm that way. I mean, somebody asks, oh, did you see such and such? And I'll say no, and I'd probably walk by it five times. Because if I'm not looking for something, I don't see it. That's, That's just me. You might be much better with detail. You might tend to, you know, kind of see everything around you. And some people are that way. I'm not. But we need to open our eyes to see some things. So, 
in my case, and I think all of our cases, we really need to ask God for the grace to see people as he sees them. See them as loved, yet separated from him in many cases. As people in trouble, without the hope of eternal life, and really life with God right now. You're probably more than aware that church attendance, etc., here in the United States, it's been on the decline for some time. It's not just because of COVID, it's been in decline for a decade or more. Now, there are a lot of different ideas of why that's so. We just, we just know it is so. And we also know, because of research, that Maine... New Hampshire, Vermont, Mass, and Connecticut are all in the top ten of the least religious states in America. We also know that number 50, 49, and 48 are Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. They vie for who's the least religious. So here we are. We're in one of the most irreligious states in the country, Maine. It's amazing. That's a fact. We've probably all heard that before. We sort of understand it here, <coughs> here intellectually. But do we get it? That the people of our state, our city, and our neighborhoods, they're, da- they're in danger of missing. They're missing life with Jesus, both now and eternally. You see, everybody doesn't go to a better place. I haven't been to a funeral or a celebration of life in many, many, many years where I didn't hear at least one person say, at least they're in a better place. It might be your experience as well. Everybody really has this conviction or hope or belief that everybody is in a better place. Unfortunately, that's a lie. Everybody doesn't go to a better place. The scripture is very clear that we need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ to go to a better place. So we need to open our eyes to the fact that many and maybe even most of the people who live around us in nice homes, with nice cars, and nice kids, and nice smiles are in danger. We need God to heal the DNA in our eyes so that we can see. Not judge in a negative way. I don't mean that at all. But just so that we can see. We also need God to open our hearts. First to him and then to others. Now maybe we need to open our hearts before we can open our eyes. Maybe we need to open our eyes before we can open our hearts. I don't know which comes first. But here's what the great commandment says. Matthew 22, 37 to 39 says it this way. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. At the end of John's gospel, chapter 21, Jesus takes a walk on the beach with Peter. And he wants to ask Peter basically one thing. Do You love me. Why? Why that question? 
Because love is the central thing to a godly DNA. That's why. Anything we do, even if it's a good thing, if it's not motivated by love, then it's less than Christian. Love needs to be at the heart of things. So, I read it just a little while ago. We are to be compelled by love. I'm not talking about an emotional, fluttery feeling. I'm talking about a a commitment to do what is best for the other person. A, a, A sense of doing what God would have me do to respect and respond to that person in a way that is right for that person. Now, everybody needs Jesus, but they don't need the Bible hammered over their head. But they do need to be loved, and at some point, they need to hear that that Jesus loves them and wants to have a relationship with them. But I'm getting ahead of myself now. Anything, anyway, we're to be compelled by love. So Jesus needs to heal our hearts to fill us with that love. And I think that's an ongoing thing, at least for me it is. I need to keep asking God to give me grace and love, etc. Because it's not always that easy to love everybody and everything. Because they don't always just act the way I think they should, etc. <laughs> and that's not really the point at all. Maybe they're acting just fine. But you know what? People do do things that it's hard sometimes to love them. And sometimes we just don't know them and we get caught up in ourselves. It's not always easy to love. Well, anyway, as we open our eyes and we open our hearts, that will lead us to open our hands. Open our hands. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Now, when you read that scripture, I think most of us kind of think toward financially giving, uh, that types of things. But but being uh, opening our hands and being generous is far more than just money. Now, for example, if, if you can help somebody with carpentry or electrical work or plumbing or something like that, I mean, that's just amazing, especially if that somebody's like me who can't do any of that stuff. I just don't have those giftings. Never learned them. In fact, whenever I tackle anything like that, I'll, I'll, I'll just guarantee you this. I will do it wrong first. And maybe the second time, I'll sort of get it right. I, I just, for whatever reason, the way my mind works, I do it wrong. It's, it's a great gift to help somebody. Providing a meal to somebody, or cleaning somebody's home, or if they use wood in their home, filling their woodshed with wood, you know. Whatever it might be, there's just all kinds of things. How about words of encouragement? That's a great form of generosity. Or how about providing childcare for uh, for a young couple that can't go anywhere because they're always home with their kids and they don't have any money, uh, letting them have a date. That's incredible. Yes, we can give financially, but there's all kinds of ways uh, to be generous. Well, the fourth open I'd like to talk about is open our homes. I think this is a big one, a really big one. Acts 5.42 says, Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, They never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Now, we read Genesis 18 this morning because when when the friends come to Abram's home, he he says, oh, you've got to stay and let me give you a meal. You know, if he hadn't invited them to stay and give a meal, that would have have been just 
horrible in that society. Everybody was expected to exercise hospitality. If guests came along, you were to invite them into, into uh, your home. You were to invite them to have a meal and to spend time with you, and they, they spent a lot of time. You notice they hadn't even made a meal. They were going to go out and, and, and kill something, get it ready <laughs> before they could have it. They spent a lot of time together. Well, we can't live the way they did exactly, but we do have homes. And I think, sadly, that too many of our homes have become fortresses instead of instruments of grace. And they need to be instruments of grace. We work hard all day. Maybe we play hard all day. <laughs> but we typically work hard all day. We've we got to commute there, and then we've got to commute back. And, and when we get back, we retreat into the safety and the comfort of our homes, and we lock the doors, and few, if any, ever enter. Now, if that's true, we're missing a great tool of the kingdom of God. Now, because of COVID, a lot of people have lived this way for a different reason. I understand that. And I understand why some people, because of health and everything else, that, that's the way they really needed to live. I hope you've all got your shots and your boosts and all that kind of stuff now. And it, it, things are loosening up. Things are better. And I would, I would suggest it's time to open our homes again. We can have people over for coffee for, or for a meal. We can throw a party. Maybe there's an important event like a birthday or an anniversary or you make one up. I don't know. Maybe you can have a game night. There's different things you can do to open your home. Now, some of you are saying, I just, I just can't open my home. And you, you have a legitimate statement because I don't know your situation. And maybe... Opening your home just doesn't work for you. But that's why we have what they call third places. Places like Starbucks and Panera Bread and uh, all those places where you can meet people. In fact, a lot of people will meet you there a lot quicker than they'll come to your home or invite you to their home. So you can do those things. Well, before COVID, Marilyn and I had been doing quite a bit of this in our neighborhood. And uh, we haven't been doing it through COVID, so... Uh, we need to get back to it, so I'm kind of preaching to me here this morning as well. And, and I often hear older people, and a few of you are older, saying, you know, uh, we want to reach young people. So here's a suggestion. Uh, young people like to hang out together, and last I knew, they love to eat. You know? Yeah, they love to eat. And, and so maybe opening a, a, a loving home with some food and some games and some conversation or whatever, it might be a great discipleship tool for you. Now, you just don't go out and try to get, you know, a half a dozen young people off the street to come to your house. They're going to think you're crazy. But uh, you can think about this. You know, maybe there's a way. I don't know what the way would mean for you, but maybe there's a way. Well, I believe God needs to heal the DNA of the doors of our home so that they swing wide open and we invite others in. Final open is this. We need to open our mouths. Acts 20, 27 says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. I've heard a lot of people say that, well, I, I, don't, I don't talk to people about Jesus, you know, but I, I live it out with my life. I live Jesus out so that they'll see Jesus in my life. But, if, you, if you're one of those people that say that, 
I don't mean to offend you, but if you don't talk about Jesus, all they know is that you're a nice gal or a nice, nice woman. Nice woman, nice man. That's all they know. They don't know it's because of Jesus. At some point, we have to verbalize. Now, how are you going to do that? Well, again, you, you don't attack them with Jesus, but you can say, you can begin to talk about things like that. You know, as, as you're doing things and they say thank you, and you can say, well, uh, I'm just so glad to do it. You know, the, the Lord's blessed me, and I, you know, so you can, you can work little ways in where you can begin to talk about the Lord. And I found I can do this with people, and it's natural. They don't fall over. They don't get mad at me. And so we need to, we need to verbalize things. And uh, eventually, hopefully, we find ways where we can invite people to talk to us about the Lord. Now, a lot of people are not excited about coming into a church building. So that's not necessarily the best first invite. It might be. But a cup of coffee at Starbucks or Dunks or something might be a better first invite or to your home. And, you know, get to know people and eventually it'll be natural to open our mouths. At some point, at some point, somebody has to tell the story of how Jesus has changed their life. You know, if I'm a good guy, it's because of Jesus. Because without Jesus, I probably wouldn't be a good guy. And if you wanted me to tell you a bunch of tales about before I was walking with Jesus, you, you would understand that I'm not lying. Because <laughs> if I'd have kept on that routine or on that flow of my life, I probably would not have ended up a person who did good things. Jesus changed my life. Well, we need to tell how Jesus has changed us. We need to tell his story, his birth, his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, what all that means. And of course, we have to listen to other people's story as well. I hope that you are doing this much. I hope that you are praying consistently for at least one person who you know, who's a friend, who's, a, who's someone you work with, who's a neighbor, whatever. You're praying consistently for them that they will come to have the privilege of following Jesus, of stepping over the line of faith and, and growing in a relationship with him. You can pray for more than one, but I hope you're praying for at least one. And not just for your, you know, uh, Aunt Bessie in California. I'm talking about people that live right where you live and, and that you interact with and that you work with and uh, maybe you do ho hobbies together or whatever the case might be. So let's wrap this up. The first step is prayer. We, we pray for people. We pray for them by name that, that we'll have the privilege of blessing them, that we'll, we'll be good neighbors, that... We'll be, we'll be able to be helpful, uh, that we'll have positive relationships, and at some point, when it's right, that we'll be able to talk to them about Jesus. So we pray that God would open our eyes, open our eyes to the needs around us. We pray that God will open our hearts so that we genuinely care, genuinely care about that person, as a person, and also that they would come to know Jesus. 
that we'd open our hands, that we'd take action that demonstrates God's love, that we would open our homes to foster caring relationships, and we would open our mouths to tell his story, to tell our story, to listen to their story, and to invite them into relationship with Jesus. So remember Rod and Paula, they were enjoying life until they realized they were in a desperate situation. But also remember Gary, Paula's brother, concerned for their safety and seeking them out. So this morning, I'm saying, let's be like Gary. You know, many years ago, everybody wanted to be like Mike. Well, let's be like Gary, motivated by love and willing to do what is necessary to help others to safety, both now and eternally, and ultimately to the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray together. Our Father, we, we come and we ask that you would give us an openness, a, responsive, a responsiveness to you and your spirit. We pray, God, that we would be intentional in our thinking and in our praying that we might be the hands and feet of Jesus, that we might have your heart, that we might see the way you see. We ask God for guidance and wisdom and, and, and how to live out these ideas. Lord, we, we can't do it all. No one of us can do it all. We can't do it all as a, as a church family, but Lord, you have you have something for us to do. And for those things that we are doing, if they are of you, help us to keep on keeping on. And Lord, if there's some things we need to drop, help us to drop them. If there's some things we need to, to begin, like, like that song we sang earlier, the new wine, where you might have something new for us, help us to pick that up. Help us, Lord, to not rush off on our own, but help us, Lord, to to definitely be responsive to your guidance and your leadership and your direction. I, I pray, Lord, for this church family. I pray, Lord, for each person here today. I pray, Lord, for each person listening uh, in whatever vein they're listening to, YouTube, etc. We just ask God that, that you would help us. Help us to take action. Your action. Guide us as we seek to be the people of God. Help us to keep ourselves before you and to foster our relationship with you. Help us to continually put ourselves in your hands and invite you to fill us with your love and yourself. If and where we have failed, forgive us, Lord. Give us a spirit of humility and, and confession and forgiveness and willingness to acknowledge where we have, have not uh, lived up to what you want and where we failed or even disobeyed. Forgive us for those times and help us, Lord, to move forward with you. Guide us, we ask. 
Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this sermon podcast. We hope that the message has inspired you to draw closer to God each day. May God bless you as you serve him today.